From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted. I'm Lisa Gebilagin. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for ways I can get more focus or more energy and stop stressing so much and even stop myself from doing stupid things that I've just gotten in the habit of doing. Basically, I want to train my brain to perform at its peak or close to it. Okay, I'll even take a smidge percentage better than it's currently performing now. This is why on today's show, I'm chatting with Alexis Fernandez. Alexis is brain obsessed. She has a master's in neuroscience and loves talking about mindset hacks and brain health so much that she has a podcast on the topic called Do You Fucking Mind? She also hosts a podcast series from Samsung Galaxy called Rule Benders, where she chats to guests who are breaking the mold. In this episode, Alexis goes into the science behind why saunas are great for your health, the benefits of nootropics and how you can build up your cognitive reserve. The cool thing is her tips are simple and actionable, so you are guaranteed to finish listening to this episode with things you can start doing straight away. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time out today to chat with us. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have a chat. <laughs> for our listeners who haven't yet come across your great podcast, Do You Fucking Mind? Um, although as your pod is regularly in the top of the charts, there probably aren't many people who haven't come across it yet. Can you give us a little intro about why they should be paying attention to your awesome tips about brain health? Yeah, definitely. So my podcast is all about, you know, it's, it's a mix between mindset hacks, kind of relationship advices, and mainly relationships with yourself. It's a lot about confidence and self-love, but I also bring a lot of science into it. Almost every episode, I have a bit of a brain hack that, you know, I talk about, you know, pharmacology, our neurotransmitters transmitters and how everything kind of links together to impact our day. So the the premise of the podcast is to help change people's relationships with their themselves and with their brains. And it's kind of learning to use your brain as an ally to your advantage instead of feeling like a victim to your own thoughts. That's kind mm. of the whole the overlying theme to the podcast. That's really good. And I like how you say a victim to your own thoughts because I mm. feel like some people really want to change but they don't know why they continue acting in a certain way. Yes, definitely. And I feel a lot of people have either, you know, we, we condition our brains to be a certain way, but a lot of the time, I would say most of the time, you don't realize that you've conditioned it that way or the conditioning has occurred when you were a child, so you didn't have the control for it to be conditioned the way it is. And then if you don't shed light on it or if you don't, you know, acknowledge, then it's really hard to change it. So a lot of people, like you said, they do want to change, but they end up, you know, dreading being alone with their own thoughts. They're constantly pacifying or distracting themselves because they they honestly think that their brain is just against them or, you know, they're, they're just, a lot of people say things like, oh, my brain is trying to sabotage me. My thoughts are sabotaging me. Mm. And it, it would feel like that for a lot of people, but then it's really interesting and a relief to know that there is actually a lot that can be done from your end to change your thoughts and change them permanently as well. So how did you first start getting interested in this? So I actually, I actually really wanted to be an actor and oh. when I was younger, yeah, like totally different. I mean, yeah. I guess the performance side is similar. That's why I love the podcast. I'm like, get me on a stage with an audience. But <laughs> I, I was a bit bored because, you know, when you're acting, unless you're actually successful, you're just sitting around waiting for an audition. And so I thought I'm going to go to uni. In the meantime, I like, I love learning. So I went to uni and I was picking all these random subjects and psychology was one of them. And we had a guest lecture come on and he was talking all about neuroanatomy and pharmacology. And I was like, that 
is amazing. And at the end of the lecture, I ran down and I said, that, that's all I want to study. I don't want to do too much of the other stuff. And he said, you need to change your major to cognitive neuroscience. So I did that and I did the four years and it was incredible. I had the best time. Then I just got into the fitness industry after uni, because really, unless you go and do post, post-grad work, um, like as a master's or PhD, there's really not that much you can do in the field. So I got into fitness, traveled the world, lived overseas. And then I was really called to study the brain again. I just always felt every year I kind of thought, do I apply? Do I not? Then I went and did my master's and it really just solidified my passion for it. So a year into the master's is when I started the podcast because I thought I just love talking about it so much. And instead of just boring the same person again and again, like out of my friends, why don't I just do a podcast? And it's a great skill to have be, to be able to take what you've learned and then all the studies that you've read and condense it in a way that makes it really digestible for everyone to Definitely. understand. I think a lot of people are, especially more and more, people are really interested in science, especially if the science mm. relates to them. And we all have a brain, so it is super relatable. And I think that a lot of the information that I found out there with books and with you know certain videos were either at the the level of someone who had studied it at uni and yeah. so then it would be a, too much for just the lay person but then other things were just way too basic and I'm, I, I was thinking you know people need to be given a little bit more credit like I think they, they <laughs> yeah. would understand more than this so yeah. I think there was kind of an opportunity for you know at least the audience that I serve where they you could be feeding them more science and they would be interested and they would understand it. Absolutely. And this is why the women's health audience is perfect for you right now, because love that mix of science backed information, but then also the practical aspects of it too, which is why um, you're here talking about brain health today. But firstly, I wanted to know why should we be caring about brain health now? Because I feel like people, some people listening will think, you know, isn't that a problem for future me to be, Mm. (laughs) to be worried about? Well, there's several, 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 you know, reasons why we should be doing it now. And I guess the main ones would be, firstly, you want to protect yourself against degeneration of any kind. Neurodegeneration is, you know, just a very awful way to go. It's one, I just, it's just awful and it affects a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that the, the actual onset of degeneration happens 20 or 30 years before the end of your life. And sometimes the symptoms don't show until maybe 15 years after the degeneration started happening. So most people, when they want to intervene, it's too late. That's the first reason. And the second reason is that the earlier you intervene and the earlier you start doing things for your brain health, the easier it is to do it. So we, you know, your neuroplasticity and your synaptogenesis, as in the ability for the cells to to make new connections and for the cells to regenerate, that it gets harder and harder as you get older. But if you're already practicing that now, um, no matter where you are in your life, if you start today, then you kind of create this cognitive reserve and you make it easier and easier. It's like a muscle, you know, you're training it and it makes it easier to adapt. The brain is exactly the same. So the quicker you can do it, the better. And you just have a better life, you know, now in 10 years, in 50 years, you know, the sooner the better. So you just mentioned the cognitive reserve and I heard a podcast where you talk, you gave a really good analogy about a tree. So I'm wondering if you could share that with our listeners now. So I thought it gives a really good picture of what the cognitive reserve is. Definitely. So cognitive reserve is where you try and build up a bit of a reserve bank of brain, uh, like neural connections and also neurons as well, because neurons can be 
you can actually create new new neurons in certain regions of the brain. And the difference would be that if you didn't have much cognitive reserve and you were reaching the end of your life, if you imagine a tree with only, you know, a few leaves here and there, if you gave that tree a really big shake, most of its leaves would end up falling and that tree would be left with not much. And that's how you look at kind of degeneration or, or brain trauma later on in life. If you were to, you know, traumatize the brain or if you were to age and you had nothing no no leaves then what would fall would leave you with nothing else and that's someone with you know dementia alzheimer's or you know any kind of degeneration whereas if you have this cognitive reserve which could be there's many things one is you know trying to learn something new at all times and it's going to be a challenge so it could be a card game it could be a language it could be surfing it doesn't matter another one is of, of course sleeping and eating well and then of course a really important one is social connections this you know being social having real human connections real proper conversations and feeling like you have that community around you all those things add up to this cognitive reserve where your brain has just it's just denser so then if you get to old age and you give it a really big shake you still have have something left things are still going to fall off the tree but there's still something there so you're able to perform better as a human your cognitive ability is there whereas with someone who doesn't have cognitive reserve it's not Hmm. So let's talk more about how we can boost our brain health now. You recently did a great episode on saunas. Um, I was wondering if we could start there. Yeah, definitely. So there's so much you can do. And I always look at it like when you look at brain health or any kind of health, you want to be as holistic as possible. So you want to look at things that you can physically do and things that, of course, like that you're eating and, and then your sleep as well. So I look at it as like a full, a big picture. But with the saunas, I've recently... I mean, I've known about the benefits of saunas on brain health for a long time, but recently I've gotten into doing it, you know, four or more times a week. And there's so much information that backs this idea of being under heat stress, like intermittent heat stress. So you don't want to be stressed all the time, like chronic stress, but intermittent heat stress, which is either exercising or a sauna actually creates this um, release of all these really beneficial, either something called like a neurotrophin or neurotransmitters that are actually quite neuroprotective for your brain. And the same occurs when you exercise. So for example, one of them is brain derived neurotrophic factor, which is basically it's a, a protein that encourages cell regeneration and, and um, connectivity between neurons. It's very protective against, you know, degeneration as well. And then you get a really good release of it's weird because cortisol, you get a spike of cortisol when you exercise and when you do a sauna, but then your overall cortisol levels in general when you're not under the heat stress drops. And when cortisol drops, you sleep better, you get a better production of you know, your feel-good neurotransmitters as well, your memory is increased, your learning is better, you're able to stay focused for longer. So there's all these really, really good you know, a lot of good things that come out of it. But probably the most interesting study is the one, this one that was done in Finland with over 2,000 men over 20 years. And it showed that men who would sauna for 20 minutes or more, four or more times per week, had a 66% lower chance of getting Alzheimer's disease. So it just shows how- That's massive. Massive, massive. Yeah. And that's compared to someone, those numbers are compared to people that do one sauna a week. So imagine the numbers to people that don't do any sauna or don't do any exercise because you kind of want to compare saunas a little bit to exercise. And if you can exercise and sauna together, then it's the the benefits are even like twofold, you know? Yeah. After listening to that episode, I was like, 
Um, I need to change my gym and find a sauna. <laughs> sauna. Literally, yeah. I was so thrilled when I signed up to this gym. It's like 25 bucks a week and it's got a sauna. I'm like, I'm going to live at this place. <laughs> and I do it about four or five times a week now. It's incredible. Does a sauna have to be a certain temperature? Um, look, it, it, this study didn't get too specific on the temperature, but you want to get it to a point where you're feeling your heart rate go up. You obviously are ideally sweating. So it's getting to the point where you're under, you know, obvious stress where you're, and and you shouldn't feel like it shouldn't feel horrible at all, but it's this idea of like, okay, I really need to focus on breathing and slowing it down. I'm starting to sweat. I'm feeling hot. Uh, my heart is racing a bit and you, and, and just like anything you want to build up to it. So you don't go in and just, if you've never sauntered before and smash out 20 minutes and feel that you're going to faint, not at all. Like you can start with yeah. three minutes, five minutes. I, but the real, real benefits are from specifically 19 minutes and above. Is 19 minutes. <laughs> so I just say <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's fascinating, and there's still there's a lot of um, sauna studies that are going on, including infrared. So most of the saunas mm. are the traditional sauna with the rocks, but there's a lot of positive data coming out of infrared studies as well. What about like um, hot yoga? Is would that have the same kind of benefits? Because you're kind of exercising in a sauna, but it definitely is beneficial because again, you are under that heat stress and you're exercising as well. So Mm. you're still getting the release of this neurotrophic factor. You're still getting that um, increased. It's really, it's really good for your heart when you're when you're in heat and dealing with the heat. It's really, really good for blood pressure. And anything that's good for your heart health and blood pressure is really good for the brain because the correlation of um, heart disease and um, and hypertension has like an 85% correlation with neurodegeneration because you need really good blood supply and oxygen to all areas of your brain. And if you have you know heart problems, then of course your brain suffers from that because it's not getting sufficient oxygen to all the areas. And so what about with exercise? Is there a specific kind of exercise that is better for brain health than others? Yes. So for brain health, um, what's really recommended is kind of moderate to high intensity exercise. You really want to be breaking out a sweat. You want to be under stress and you want to feel like you are exhausted. If you can really get your heart rate up. And the beauty of that is that you don't have to be the fittest person or a crazy athlete because it's it's relative to every person, mm. as long as you are under stress. So if someone does 10 squat jumps and they're done, that's still really beneficial for them because they're putting their body under that stress where it has to adapt. HIIT training is really, really good. Running is great. Um, spin classes are great for the brain. So anything where you are, you know, it's, it's not easy to hold a conversation, basically, where your heart is truly racing. It just made me think you were talking earlier about that cognitive reserve and being and the, how learning new things helps with that. I wonder, say then maybe sports would be a great type of exercise where you're also yeah. learning new things and also getting that heart rate up. Definitely, definitely. Sports are great. Coordination is great. Dancing is really good mm. as well. A lot of coordination going on in dancing. There's so much. <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> or not at all. Yeah. Yeah. It literally is like anything where you are – Pretty much anything that makes you so focused that you can't think of anything else is going mm. to be good for your cognitive reserve. So if you're trying to put together, if, if you're trying to learn a language and you're trying to put together a sentence and you're really focusing so hard, that's phenomenal. It's just, if you're really, 
good at something, but it's second nature to you, then you need to pick up a new thing. It's got to be <laughs> a struggle. You know, you, you okay. really want to be struggling through it and it doesn't matter how, how bad you are at it. That that's It doesn't matter. It's that effort. It's the cognitive effort that is causing this growth. It's forcing, you know, new pathways to be formed. So, yeah, sport is great. Dancing, um, rock climbing, any anything mm. like that is really, really good. See, this is a good point because you know how people – Oh, I do sometimes get put off if I'm trying to learn something new and I don't get it straight away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just keep thinking, yeah, brains, brains growing, it's brains still learning for your brain, yeah, hundred percent. And it, and it should never be like an instrument is fantastic. It doesn't matter what mm. what age you are, pick up an instrument and try and learn it. And that's and it's also quite. I find it's also really really good for your self-esteem as well because no matter how bad you are you're always going to get a little bit better and to notice your own growth day in day out is actually quite satisfying quite pleasant you feel at the end of the day no matter what's happened well I've gotten a little bit better at this you know so yeah you kind of feel good but at the same time you're really working your brain muscles there as well all right well let's talk about stress and the difference between you stress like the good stress that we need in our lives versus Mm -hmm. the effects that being under constant stress has on our brains? Yeah. So when you're stressed, so of course there's the two kinds of stress. There's, you know, acute stress, which is 100% necessary and really good for you because it helps you perform. When you have mm-hmm. a release of cortisol and when you have a release of all, there's a whole bunch of, of neurotransmitters that get, that um, release a higher level of whatever chemical it is. When you're under stress, something like, of course, fear when you're getting away from something, but even when you're performing to get that, that hit of cortisol, when you're about to get on stage, that's good because it gets you yeah. really in the zone. It pumps you up and you're using up that energy. So that's not a problem and that's nothing you have to even worry about. That's good for you. The stress that you really want to think about is chronic stress where you're under E and this can be when you're overworked all the time, you know, fair enough if it's just one week here and there in your year, but if you're constantly under this crazy pressure and it's affecting your life day into day in, day out, if you're not getting good sleep, if you're in a toxic relationship, if you're always fighting with somebody, if you, you know, have a lot of health concerns and you can't sleep at night based around that, that kind of stress, um, that ruminating is really, really bad because you're getting, you're getting a high production of cortisol throughout the day all the time, which has all these neurotoxic effects. But at the same time, then when you actually need that, that higher hit of cortisol, when you're under pressure, you can't get it. So, mm. so it's this, like, it's bad for so many reasons. So you've got this higher amount of cortisol, then you've got cortisol. Actually, there's a lot that it does like for the brain when it's, when it's in high chronic levels of cortisol. But one thing that it does that reduces the size of an, a part of the brain called the hippocampus. And that part of the brain is involved in memory and learning. And when your memory and learning is affected, it actually stresses you out even more. So it's kind of this constant cycle. Your sleep is then affected. You can't find your keys. You're getting really stressed. You can't remember where you put this. You can't remember that. Oh, I should have called that. And, and it's literally this snowball effect. And then when that's happening and when you feel more stressed, your ability to connect Another area of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is reasoning and executive function and all of that, that connectivity between those two brain regions gets affected. So people that have a really good connectivity between those brain regions are able to calm themselves down and soothe themselves a lot. Their learning and memory retention, all of that is a lot better. So cortisol has a really negative impact on those particular connections, as well as, of course, a whole bunch of other things and health problems. But in particular, that as far as the brain. So so then you can understand somebody that's really stressed, why it is that they start getting worse and worse and worse, because it is kind of like this vicious circle that they get into. Yeah. So conversely, 
someone who's in that state, what can they do to get out of that chronic stress state? Yeah, definitely. So there's exercise is a fantastic one. Anything that's going to increase that, that neurotrophin that I was talking about, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that's going to be really good. So saunas um, and exercise, but also something that's really great is meditation. Meditation increases a lot of activity in the prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain that helps calm down and soothe. And it also improves your sleep meditating. And I think a lot of people think, I can't meditate. I can't, I can't. Especially people that are stressed, people whose Mm. mind races all the time. They're the last people that want to meditate, but they're the ones that need it more than anybody else. (laughs) So for them, I would recommend starting with literally one minute guided meditations. It is so easy. Everybody can do it. And it doesn't matter how much your mind wanders. It's this intention to slow down. And that gets better and better. Like any skill, you can't just sit down, especially if you're someone who's stressed and be a phenomenal meditator. It takes a little bit of practice and little by little, if you do it every day, even if it's for a minute, five minutes, by the end of six months, you will be a lot calmer and you will definitely have gotten a skill around meditating. Do you have any apps in particular that you recommend? Because I am currently in a non-meditative rut. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually, I go between, I use Headspace, but I also use guided meditations on YouTube. And I also love to listen to the sleep stories as well. That's a really good one. Sleep is so important. So if you're struggling to get to sleep at night, that's something that you need to be putting a lot of your time and energy into fixing. Because if you can really nail your sleep, that's kind of the foundations for your health in every every area. And I say to people more than anything else, sleep is the foundation. So if you can get that right, then, you know, everything else is so much easier to work on. If you've got high levels of stress, but you're sleeping well, you're going to be able to reduce that, that level of stress a lot easier than someone that's not sleeping well. Yeah. It's kind of hard to sometimes though, because when you're stressed, sometimes it's that stress that keeps you awake. Yeah. And also a lot of people, when they're stressed, they don't like the concept of winding down because there's just no. too much in their mind. So the idea yeah. of just reading a book in in quiet with this nice dim light is just like, no, no, no. So they have the TV on, they have this, they have, that, they have all these distractions because they don't want to be with their thoughts. Mm. Uh, so that is definitely something that it takes a little bit. But what I think I would love for people to understand is that it definitely is not pleasant at the beginning. But if you do it for about a week, for two weeks, that wind down isn't as daunting and it's going to get you into this healthier place where you're getting a natural release of, of um, melatonin to help you fall asleep. And you get, it's, it's kind of like a cycle of melatonin. And then, you know, the, all the, these neurotransmitters go through a cycle. If you're constantly got the TV blaring, all this, you know, you're on your phone um, scrolling through social media to try and help you fall asleep, then your sleep is, it's just not going to be as deep and you're going to be a lot more affected and your, your mind is going to be always racing. And it's also this, I think, this avoidance of being with your thoughts. I think that a lot of yeah. people, it, it makes your stress worse. It's what we're, like what we were talking about earlier, about people not thinking that they can do things to, to you know, help, help control those thoughts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is that. And, and I think that people might have tried it, you know, here and there. So they think, no, I've tried it and it doesn't work. But it, it is this, you need, you need to stick it out and try it day in, day out for, you know, give it a month. And I know a month sounds like a long time, but if you don't do that month, you're still going to be super stressed for the next few years, if not the rest of your life. Mm. So it is worth it and and you do have to chip away at it. But 100% saunas, exercise, meditation, those things are definitely going to go a long way to help you. 
And what about food and drinks and like also nootropics? That's a big thing that people are talking about lately. What can we do for brain health? Yeah, well, I actually actually have recently in the last couple of months gotten into this new nootropic and it's called Arepa. It's actually from New Zealand and it's, it's made from this berry. I think it's called like neuroberry actually. And it's such a good brain food because it's actually like it's, it helps improve your focus and your cognitive performance as well, but it's not caffeinated. So it's really Uh. good for people that I think a lot of people, they, you know, kind of use coffee to spike their attention, but then they can't do it past midday and then they feel too stimulated. Whereas this is kind of. (laughs) That's me. That's totally me. Yeah, and sometimes and, and caffeine's kind of a little bit like it might be overstimulating for some people and not as much, whereas like a nootropic like like Arepa is really it kind of increases your focus, but you stay calm as well and, and it and it is, you know, it's 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 natural. It's made out of all these natural products, which is like berries, which is really good, and like green tea extract. So it it I find that it really works. If I'm sitting down, I used it like when I was a bit, like going into exams as well. I would yeah. drink that. It, like you can drink it and it comes in tablets as well, but I would drink that and then I could focus better on my exams. And also if I'm planning podcasts, you find that it's you don't have this heightened like buzzing, buzzing. You can just actually sit down and focus. So nootropics definitely, definitely help with cognitive performance and focus. And the beauty of that is, again, if you're somebody that's stressed and you can do things to help your focus – so you don't feel so scattered and so your attention isn't so spread thin, then again, that's going to help you calm down because when you can stay on topic, when you can be focused on something, you your memory is better around that topic, your performance is better, so it has a really positive effect on your stress levels. Mm. So that's another really good thing. Someone that's you know got heightened anxiety or heightened stress, if they can do as many things in their lifestyle to help Im- improve their focus and reduce distractions then I would recommend that and foods are also a really good way of doing that of course lots of water I always say water in the morning have like half a liter of water the moment you wake up it's a really good half way a to liter yeah yeah it sounds like a lot but it's not yeah, it so does. I wake up in the morning and I have just one glass of water which is a quarter of a liter um so I have one glass of water and then I'll meditate immediately after that I'll just sit up in bed I meditate for about 15 minutes a guided meditation and then I'll drink another glass of water and there's your half liter before you've even and it's it's really good way to wake up the body and so that Mm. you feel quite alert quite awake and then when I go and you know work on something or am I about to like sit down at my desk to do work that's when I'll do something like a nootropic for sure I wondered have you looked into CBD oil at all and the effects on brain health yeah, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot of um, really, really great studies at the moment with CBD oil, even THC and the, mm. the positive effects on the brain and on what what they notice with a lot of the studies that are going on is that it's really good at creating like homeostasis within the brain. That's the main thing that they're finding. It's really good at creating a kind of a balance and it's They've, they've done so many studies to use it to treat, of course, stress, anxiety, depression, but also epilepsy and things like that because you're finding this balance within the kind of communication between cell to cell and it's like a really tedious, tedious, complicated process. But basically, um, yeah, they, they, they find that it does help regulate. So whereas a lot of, for example, an antidepressant is going to target particular um, receptors or particular neurotransmitters and the release of like to get more absorbed or less absorbed 
um, CBD kind of targets like an, it has like an overall effect on the communication between cells, if that makes sense. Yeah, it'll be um, interesting, I guess, because even though it's been TGA approved, there aren't any CBD oil products out at the moment, are there? Well, in Australia, I don't know. I no, know I that, I mean, in the US, it's it's kind of everywhere it's, now. Yeah. You, know, you can get your and hands on so many different things. In the and, UK and, as well. Yeah, yeah. And in Australia, it's still, I think, look, I'm not 100% sure how what's going down in Australia with that, but a lot of CBD oil does have some THC. So if it has a bit of THC, then you absolutely can't have it. And it's quite difficult. You know, you can get it for medical reasons but you can't just get it over the counter, I believe, unless that's recently changed. So, which I think is frustrating because I personally think that everyone shouldn't have access to something like CBD. It's great as a, like for pain uh, management as well. There's just yeah. so much good that can come out of it. And I feel that everyone should be able to access it. You mentioned earlier about um, having good relationships and social life is also good for brain health. What's the difference be- between having that digital contact versus seeing someone in real life. Yeah. So when you, there's definitely a difference, definitely. So it's, it's when you look at when people engage online and when people on get, engage with like Instagram and messages and, and DMs and comments and all of that, you're more getting this reward seeking behavior. You're not, a lot of people when they go online in general, are getting this, you know, it's kind of like you're getting that dopamine. It's when people eat sugar or when you go on social media and when you go to the pokies, it's the same kind of behavior within the brain. It's your reward circuit. That's And that's why social media can feel quite addictive and it can feel difficult mm. to get off because of what's going on in the brain with that reward circuitry and the dopamine release. And then every time you get off social media, you get a bit of a, like a, a drop below baseline of your dopamine level. So you feel flat. So then you're more likely to seek reward behavior, like reward seeking behaviors again and it gets you into that vicious mm. cycle. Whereas if you meet someone in person, it's very different. You're getting a different release. You're getting more of that connectivity. You get oxytocin. If you can have physical contact, if you can hug, if you can, you know, eye contact is a big one. You feel calmer when you're around someone that you love. It actually makes you, it's easier to trust. It's easier to um, reduce anxiety, being like physically in, like connecting in person with somebody but you also get another spike of like healthy levels of dopamine when you're not getting this big kind of spike up and then and then drop below baseline it just it's like just a slight kind of increase and then you get things like serotonin as well so it's very different the chemical kind of release when you're looking at a true human connection between maybe like best friends or family members versus you going online to see who's messaged me am I getting a like am I getting a comment so it be vastly different the two how does how does that become brain protective then? So it's really one of the things that's really unhealthy is isolation. So it's basically you're just countering isolation. You're getting gotcha. anything that's that's releasing these feel good neurotransmitters is going to, of course, happiness is one of the the best ways to prevent 
you know, anxiety, stress, depression, all of that. And so connectivity with people, with the earth and with animals as well. So just feeling Mm. connected is what's going to help people feel a lot calmer. That reduces stress. It reduces anxiety. And when you reduce stress, anxiety, depression, you're then, it's very neuroprotective. Those things, anything that's, you know, increasing stress, anxiety, all of that, that is quite toxic for the brain. You get actually like neurotoxicity. Your brain actually shrinks. It literally reduces in size if you have chronic chronic stress for a very long time if you don't have that and that's why connectivity is so good because it's one of the best Mm. ways to reduce stress a lot of people you know you might not be a people person and you might just have one person in your life that you feel connected with and that's fine it's got nothing to do with being super social or an introvert it's this, this concept of feeling connected and having real connections. So you might just have one or two people in your life but if you feel super connected they're kind of your grounding you know, force. And some people, it's animals. Some people just Mm. love to be around animals and that's really calming for them and they're still going to feel really good. But separate to all of that, having conversations with people, having um, teaching people something, explaining things to people is a really good way to improve your cognitive reserve because it uses up a lot of different areas of the brain at the same time. So things like anything where you're speaking and explaining um, while also interpreting information is also a really good way to exercise your brain and to be using kind of the whole brain at once. Basically what you do all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, they actually did a study and they they found that teachers of any sort, whether it's like uni or or primary school, it doesn't, but to teach something, there's a lot of activity going on in the brain. It's actually really healthy to do that. So, so yeah, I recommend if you know anything about any topic, go and teach someone about it. Uh, Well, thank you so much for your time. Was there any other tips that you wanted to leave our listeners? The biggest thing that I say to people is just, consistency just be as consistent as possible because if you can be really consistent then it doesn't matter if you miss a day here or if you miss three days there because by the end of the year you've still done maybe 300 out of the 365 days of something towards your brain I think a lot of people think oh I'll start that once I've moved or once I've changed my job after no start today you know it doesn't matter it could be the smallest thing but it does add up and it makes a difference you don't have to have this huge lifestyle change to start implementing some amazing you know benefits for your brain health. You can be doing literally 10 10 minutes of meditation a day. You could be setting a timer so you're only on social media for, you know, five minutes at a time so you don't get into that cycle. You know, there's all Mm. these little tiny, tiny things you could be doing in your day that by the end of a month you're thinking, wow, how come I'm so much more focused? How come I'm sleeping better? Because you've just made these little, you know, tweaks here and there. So I would say don't hesitate. Don't wait for a big change to occur. Just implement now. I love that. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and drink half a litre of water. (laughs) (laughs) Give it a go. You'll feel fresh. It's amazing. (laughs) Since chatting with Alexis, I've been trying to have my half litre of water first thing in the morning. And yes, on some days, the first drink that enters my system is actually caffeine and not water. But as Alexis says, it doesn't matter if you aren't perfect because all those days you do whatever it is that will help your health, it will all add up. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebelagen. For more from us, pick up a copy of our issue with Gabriella Brooks on the cover or head to womenshealth.com.au. See you next time.